0: about Fly Fishing Internet Radio, your source for learning more about fly fishing in cold water, warm water, and salt water. Hello, I'm Roger Maves, your host for tonight's show. On this broadcast, we'll be featuring Jeff Currier, and he'll be answering your questions on his quest the 500 species of fish on the fly. This show will be 90 minutes in length, and we're broadcasting live over the Internet. If you'd like to ask Jeff a question, just go to our homepage, askaboutflyfishing.com, and use the Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. And while you're there, make sure you sign up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Just fill out the form on the right side of our homepage, and we'll let you know when the next live show will be. This broadcast is being recorded. We'll be available for playback on our website about 48 hours after the show ends. You can also find it on any of the podcast distribution sites like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have to leave early, you can return to our website or any of the podcast platforms at your convenience and listen to the recording at any time. If you're out and about on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, be sure to share our podcast. And when you do, use hashtag ask about fly Fishing and hashtag fly Fishing. In fact, if you have a moment, do it right now and let everybody else know about the great show we're having right at this moment. The content of this broadcast is copyrighted and is the property of the Knowledge Group Inc. Doing Business is Ask About Fly Fishing. When we return, we'll be talking about Jeff Carrier and his quest for 500 fish. Colorado River at Lee's Ferry is called by some the world's largest spring creek. It's a massive clear-running tailwater fishery that runs 15.5 miles from the base of the Glen Canyon Dam (coughs) to the upper reaches of the Grand Canyon. At times, it gives the impression of being not one or two, but a series of parallel Spring Creek-like waterways. The fishing is great. The scenery is gorgeous. Lee's Ferry Anglers provides professional guide service to this outstanding rainbow trout fishery, as well as food and lodging at Cliff Dwellers Lodge and Restaurant. See for yourself why Lee's Ferry is on every fly fisher's must-do list. Visit leesferryanglers.com or call them at 800 962 Nine seven five five. That's leesferryanglers.com or call them at 800-962-9755. Before we introduce Jeff, I'd like to let you know about the great prizes we have to give away tonight. Tonight, we'll be giving away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International and a one-year membership to Trout Unlimited. Now, if you haven't registered yet for the drawing, you can do so now. Just go to our homepage, askaboutflyfishing.com, and look for the link under Jeff's section that says, register for a free drawing. Click on that link, fill out the form, and we'll announce the winner at the end of the show. We'll also be giving away a copy of, um, ah, now I spaced out your book name. Jeff, tell us your book name.
1: <laughs> Quick and Easy Guide to Warm Water Fly Fishing.
0: There we go. Quick and Easy Guide to Warm Water Fly Fishing. So we'll be giving that away tonight, courtesy of Jeff Courier. And uh, here's how you win You have to be the first person to answer the question we ask at the end of the show. The question will be about something that Jeff and I talk about during the show. You have to put in your answer along with your naming location in that text box on our homepage. So listen closely, take good notes, and when the time comes, be fast about it, and you may win Jeff's book. So tonight, our guest is Jeff Currieri. And Jeff was born in Massachusetts, grew up fly fishing throughout New England. And after that, he received his degree from Northland College in Wisconsin, then moved to the Yellowstone area, where he's lived for 34 years. Now Jeff resides in Hayward, Wisconsin, with his wife Yvonne, and he bases his trotting career in fly fishing. He is an active member of the R.L. Winston Rod and professional advisory team, as well as Sims, scientific anglers, Costa uh, sunglasses, fly fishers, international yeti, Air Rafts, Outcast Boats, Kate's Reel Foods, Be Alive, and Bower Reels. Jeff is a fishing ambassador for Yellow Dog fly fishing adventures, hosting exotic trips and exploring new destinations throughout the world. Jeff is a fishing, fly fishing lecturer and well-known fish artist. He's taught the skills of fly fishing, guided fly fishers throughout Wyoming and Yellowstone National Park, and escorted fly fishers throughout six continents where many of the world's greatest game fish. Jeff's articles, photographs, and artwork have graced the pages of magazines, catalogs, brochures, and books. Jeff is an acclaimed author of Courier's Quick and Easy Guide to Saltwater Fly Fishing and Courier's Quick and Easy Guide to Warmwater Fly Fishing. Jeff has won numerous fly casting competitions, the Jackson Hole One Fly, and competed throughout the world in fly fishing. Jeff's most recognized accomplishment was leading Team USA to its first ever top 10 finish in the world. Fly Fishing Championships in Haka, Spain, in 2003. When not fishing, Jeff can be found lecturing throughout the United States and Canada on nearly every aspect of fly fishing. He demonstrates fly casting, teaches seminars on the basics of advanced skills of fly fishing, and presents many fly fishing destination programs ranging from waters in the Rockies to the remote most corners of the globe. Jeff, welcome back to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio.
1: Oh, thank you, Roger. Boy, after all that, this better be good, huh?
0: Yeah, and guess what? I had to edit half of that out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't know you were going to read the whole thing. That's pretty funny.
0: No, I didn't.
1: <laughs> no, I, know I have you didn't.
0: In, <laughs> I have in my script, I've got like the room for like one page, you know? Yeah. And if it doesn't fit in there, then I've got to start cutting it out. <laughs> so, good you. Uh, yeah. yeah, so needless to say, Jeff is... Well accomplished. We're joking about this, but read his bio on the website. It's all there. He's done so much in the world and contributed so much to the world of fly fishing. So he deserves all the kudos and recognition we can give him. And in fact, Jeff has been on more of my shows than any other guest. He's been on eight shows. This makes nine. Everything from European fly fishing techniques, chasing uh, Lake Nasser's Nile Perch, Nasir in India, tigerfish in Tanzania, peacock bass, golden dorado, fishing in Sudan, fishing on St. Brandon's Atoll. So if you want to, if you like Jeff's stories, I suggest you listen to all these other shows we've done with him because you'll be pleasantly entertained for sure. So anyway, yeah, welcome back, Jeff. And, um, you know, we've touched on a lot of these fish you've been after over the years, so we've never really talked about your quest itself, so that's what we're going to do tonight. So, cool. starting out, how did you first become interested in fly fishing, and what inspired you to embark on this quest to catch as many different species as possible?
1: Well, when I was very young, my dad was a really good fly fisherman, and Like any fishing dad, he set me up with a nightcrawler, threw it overboard, and handed me the rod, and then I watched him work his magic with his fly rod from the back of our old town canoe, and he always caught more fish. So after about one summer of that, I asked for a fly rod for Christmas like 42 times, and uh, I got (laughs) one. And the next year, you know, I was probably, well, I remember I was seven years old. I probably was terrible, but Luckily, I was in Massachusetts, and the pond near our house was full of bluegill and pumpkin seeds and perch, and, you know, if you are a little kid and your fly hits the water, it doesn't matter. You're still going to catch a fish. So I got into it really early, and the species thing never really hit me my first 30 years of life, but as a kid, I do remember, like, you know, seeing a pumpkin seed, seeing a bluegill, seeing a perch, and always being really overwhelmed how beautiful they were, and definitely noticed that, wow, there's a difference here. I want to get more of these guys. I want to get more of these guys. And I would say the species thing didn't happen until someone actually came to me. A lot of people know that I worked behind the counter at the Jack Dennis Fly Shop. And I was traveling a lot, and I was, you know, catching a lot of interesting things. And somebody just looked me in the eye and said, you've probably caught more species than anybody I can think of. How many have you caught? And I was like, you know, I never thought about it. And uh, even then, it didn't, like, make me turn the switch. It was, like, another four or five years later when people continuously said you should keep track that I finally started to. And uh, to get my list together, if that was 20 years ago, it probably took five years because you don't think of everything you've caught just out the spur of the moment. You have to be reminded by an old photo or something like, you know, oh, my God, I did catch a, you know, an amberjack in the Keys years ago or, you know, So once that started developing, I made my first list, and I kind of got into it, and I'm like, all right, what haven't I caught? I need to go get one of these. I need to get one of these.
0: And so the goal was set, huh? Now, do you have a specific goal, or are you just just always on the lookout for a new species?
1: Just always on the lookout. You know, I'd have to say that 10 years ago, I never thought I would catch 300 species. Five years ago, I thought, wow, 400 would be amazing. That's what I'll shoot for. And now I'm at, I think, 443. You know, 500 might be obtainable. I mean, I'm, I don't have as much time left as I did, you know, back when I first started setting eyes on some of my marks. And a lot of the fish are have already been caught, so it's getting harder and harder. But, yeah, I think it would be very cool to catch 500.
0: Well, now, do you have any rules or conditions <laughs> on this? I think, you know, does a uh, stickleback count?
1: Yeah. Does it have to um, be
0: wild waters?
1: <laughs> no, it doesn't have to be wild waters, but it does have to be a legitimate catch. Like, it's so funny because I, I posted today on my social media that I was doing this program tonight, and somebody sent me a picture of an armored catfish that they had caught. It was actually a good friend of mine. They were like, have you ever caught one of these? And I said, no, I Put it this way, I've held them before, but I don't have them on my list because the one I caught was foul hooked. And uh, oh. you didn't eat my fly, so don't count it. And a lot of times I'll be with somebody, you know, trying to catch a really exotic catfish on a fly or something, and they'll be like, all you have to do is put a little bait on there and, or, you know, put some scent <laughs> on there. And I'm like, no, that's not the way I want to do it because I would not count that on my list either. And as far as size of fish, you know, I don't think I'll ever go out and target a stickleback. I don't think I'll ever go, <laughs> you know, nymph the reef, you know, in the ocean. I heard there's, I heard there's somebody somewhere in this world that's trying to rack up species by nymphing the reef, catching all you know, the the aquarium fish, and that's cool. It's probably pretty fun, but that's not the kind of goal I'm after. Uh-huh. That being said, I caught a red-sided shiner on a dry fly one time when I was casting to a big trout, and that little red-sided shiner was probably you know three or four inches long, and I'm like, you know what, that was a legitimate catch. He's in the
0: mouth.
1: <laughs> he ate my fly. He's going on the list. So he's
0: going on the list. Okay, yeah. So there's no real either on the low end or on the high end. I mean, mako sharks, you know, are potential species as well.
1: Yeah, mako's count absolutely. Yeah, there's no okay. big size fish. If they eat the fly, whether it's an Arapaima or a mako shark or you know, I was recently ran into my first great whites and my buddy was like, you need to try and catch one. I'm like, you know, these ones are a little big even for a courier. And they were. They were big. They were all like 14 to 18 footers surrounding the boat. I'm like, yeah, we're just going to watch.
0: <laughs> yeah, I remember interviewing Conway Bowman because he's out of, I think he's out of San Diego. He goes after the Makos. And yeah, he was telling stories about hooking up and then the Mako goes. You know flying over the stern of the boat and it's like oh do you really want to be doing this <laughs> it sounded pretty exciting i don't know so have you That's tried for makos yet
1: no it's funny well i did try for him years ago and uh, i couldn't get conway he was busy so i went with uh, another guide and i did hook a mako i didn't land him I caught a bunch of blue sharks it was the wrong season but conway and i did the pleasanton fly fishing show together And we did a book signing together, and we were talking about it. And he said, uh, I need to get down there and get a mako. So I'm going to do that. He said, come on down, so I'm going to make it happen. Because I I need to catch a mako. Add it to my list.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, I think those are pretty reasonable rules. And you're right. You know, there is a lot of tiny, tiny fish in the world that um, you wouldn't want to mess with anyway. Like you said, a lot of the tropicals and stuff are... You know, I mean, you couldn't get a hook in their mouth. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. uh, kind of out of scope. Greg Nichols asked, "What fish has been the most fun to catch so far?" And I'm sure these are hard questions I'm going to ask because probably been so many. But um, anything one stand out? And is there a story behind it?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's a lot. I mean, so many fish are fun. I would have to say. I'll kind of lean into what is my favorite fish, which is a very common question I get. And it's a smallmouth bass. Um, Hmm. They are incredibly fun to catch. They're abundant around, you know, the country. So no matter where you live, I live in the capital of smallmouth right now. It's just amazing where I live for uh, good smallmouth fishing. But, I mean, it's a fish that, you know, takes topwater stuff beautifully, fights really hard, jumps yet at the same time you land the fish in three minutes and you go on to your next one. And that's kind of the perfect fish, the perfect fun fish for me. And uh, I always look at people when it's a face-to-face conversation, I kind of stone-face them for a second because they love that answer, but that's not what they wanted to hear. So I will (laughs) add to that. So I'm sure people are thinking right now, so I will say that, like, peacock bass are pretty damn fun too.
0: Yeah, yeah. I hear what you're saying too. I mean, the last time I caught a tarpon, it was in a deep channel, and it took like 40 minutes to bring that in, and I was exhausted. And I think that the most fun of catching a fish like that is when it first takes the fly, and it jumps, right. and it jumps. After that, it is just grunt work, you know. It's, uh, so I hear what you say about hooking up, having a fight, bringing it in, letting it go, and going after another one. It definitely is a lot of fun. I remember as a kid, first fish I ever fished for on a fly were largemouth bass in a little farm pond by our house. And um, and those were a blast, you know, sun setting and they're hitting top water flies. And just a blast, you know. Um, and the fight didn't last long, but, yeah, they were a lot of fun. Phil McCartney wrote in here on the Internet, and he says, the Boundary Waters in Minnesota is well known for smallmouth fishing, but other areas of Minnesota have excellent fishing for smallmouth he wanted to know if you had any experience in fishing smallmouth up in uh, in Minnesota.
1: Yeah, I spent uh, quite a bit of time in the boundary waters when I was in college. A lot of people know, but I went to college right here in in uh, Wisconsin. And uh, I'm a naturalist, so I had to do a lot of like survival classes and outdoor education classes, so I was in the boundary waters and the Quetico a few times and yeah, the, the smallmouth fishing up there was absolutely unbelievable what a great place it's funny that you know a lot of fly fishers aren't aware of number one how great smallmouth fishing is with a fly rod but also of the boundary waters everybody wants to charge out to montana idaho wyoming and trout fish but uh pretty good place to go a little tip there
0: yeah well you're in the heart incredible fishing now and fishing so close between minnesota wisconsin Michigan, upper, the UP, and then, yeah, Boundary Waters up there. I know I, I went to high school in Duluth, Minnesota, and so we did some summer trips up there on the Boundary Waters canoeing and stuff, and it's just gorgeous up there, too.
1: I did, but, not, um, I did not know that. What? So you went to high school in Duluth. That's amazing.
0: Yeah, for a year and a half. That's it. But that's where I graduated. My dad was in the Air Force, so we traveled around all over the place, but. But yeah, it's, um, yeah, I just had Tim Jacobs on my show and, um, you know, he is, lives in Colorado, but he also spends the summers in, uh, Michigan and just talking about all the great warm water fishing out there. So yeah, you're surrounded by it by now. Yeah. Right now. So that's great. Let's see here. I need to take a quick break and, um, then when I come back, we'll talk about some more of these catches that you've had. So hang tight, and I will be back in just a 30 seconds. Muskie Town is so much more than a Muskie fly shop. Whether you're a Muskie fly fishing guide, an experienced Muskie hunter, or just getting into predators on the fly, wherever life's adventures take you, Muskie Town's proven lineup helps you be more successful on the water. They have rods, reels, lines, and flies for muskie, pike, and bass. Most of their flies are tied in-house and they fish them at every possible opportunity so they know what works, why it works, and exactly what you need to put big fish in the net. Sit back, relax, enjoy legendary fly shop service, and let them know if there's anything that they can ever help you with. Next time you think of musky, go to Muskytown. That's muskytown.com or call them at 763-312-6012. That's muskytown.com. you're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, we're talking with Jeff Curry about his quest for 500 species of fish. If you'd like to ask Jeff a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com. Use that Q&A text box to send us your question. So another question from Greg Nichols was, which has been the hardest to catch? And I go You know, like we talked about before the show, and you can address this, because hardest is kind of a subjective term. In other words, it could be hard for so many reasons, right? So there's many answers to this question, (laughs) go for it.
1: Yeah, so I'm going to give two answers. And one I'll give now, and then I have a feeling somebody's going to ask a question like, what was the hardest journey you ever went on or something, and then I'll come into the other one. But So the hardest fish I've ever had to catch probably would be the golden moss here, but I'm not going to tell much about that yet. The most recently hardest fish I ever had to catch was a milkfish. And a milkfish is not necessarily the hardest fish to catch, but every once in a while you get jinxed. And uh, this fish has given me a lot of trouble, let's just say that. I've been to all the right places. I've seen them. I could be fishing with you, and you've never seen them before, and we're fishing together, and you catch one. And I don't get one because when you hook it, it takes an hour to land, and then they're all gone by the time you land it. So a funny thing, I was hosting a yellow dog trip to Providence Atoll in the Seychelles, which I do about every two years. I'll do a trip, and I did two of them last year because I'm still doing makeups from from, uh, COVID. And... So I have 11 guests and they're paying a lot of money to go on this trip and the trip is obviously about them. Well, we get off the plane to get on the boat to fish Providence and the guides who are good friends of mine run up and like, Kurt, this tomorrow's the best chance you'll ever have to catch a milkfish. The tides are perfect, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, guys, I can't just go fishing for milkfish tomorrow. Everybody here wants to catch a GT. They're on the trip, blah, 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 and They're like, all right, we're just telling you. So. At dinner time, we're getting the orientation stuff. I do my talk, the guides do their talk, and I just couldn't hold back. So I'm like, by the way, and I have some friends on this trip. I'm like, anybody would be willing to go try to get a milkfish tomorrow? I know everybody wants a GT, but you know we could go get a milkfish and probably get it done pretty quick, and then we can fish GTs the rest of the week. Hoping for a volunteer, like two of my friends would raise their hand. Nobody said a word. And then the two, guys, the two guys that I really didn't know very well were just super nice. Like, well, Jeff, if you got a goal like that, you know, you told us to all have goals and we can get our goals later in the week. If tomorrow's the best day, we'll go with you. So I'm like, okay, i got the two guys that I'm, you know, I know, but I don't know them that well. We go out for the milkfish, and sure enough, there's milkfish everywhere. And my buddy, Wesley DeClark, who's a South African, that uh, he was the guide. He's like, hey, Curry, just throw it out there. This is your chance, blah, blah, blah. Well, I made a few casts. The fish aren't eating the fly. You know, they're all around us. I'm just like, oh, God, the jinx is still going on. I go to do a quick roll cast. And when you're fishing milkfish, you have an algae fly. And I'll be honest with you, 99% of my life these days, I'm fishing barbless. But because it was the first morning, I had a barb in the fly. Well, the fish moved under the boat to the other side. So I went to do a quick roll cast. I did it real fast. And the fly shut up went through my bottom lip and into the top lip and shut my mouth.
0: Oh, my God. And
1: I've got, I got my buddy, Wesley, who hasn't seen me in, like, two years. i got these two new guys that I'm supposed to be the expert hosting the trip. And huh. uh, I'm like, so I figure I can rip it right out because it's got a, it's no barb, right? Well, there was a barb. So I did pop it out of the top lip. and But by the time I yanked on it a couple more times, it didn't come out. There was just blood squirting everywhere. And everybody's looking at me like I'm just, like, out of my mind. Can't believe it's happening. I had a turquoise blue, beautiful new sun shirt from Sims. It's turning red fast. And Randy, who one of the guys there, who now, by the way, both these guys are good friends, he's like, Jeff, you want me to help you with that? And I'm like, uh, yeah, just yank it out. And he tries to yank it out, and it doesn't come out. And he's a doctor. So then he reaches down, grabs his pliers, and he goes, this time we're going to get it. And he just, he's like, or do you want to go back to lodge? I'm like, no, we're not going back to the boat. And he ripped it out and like half my lips stuck to the hook and blood everywhere. And I couldn't even like fish. I made a few more casts, but I was like, you know what? This is kind of, it's just not my, my luck. So I want one of you guys to get up and do it. And Randy gets up and makes two casts and catches one.
0: Catches gotcha. it. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: Which was awesome. I mean, I was actually, I thought it was pretty damn funny. And then the best part, so then the milkfish are gone. We go fish all day. And I catch a giant trevally that is like the biggest one of the trip, but I really would much rather have had anybody else catch that. And on the way home, we went back to the milkfish spot, and the other guy, Rich, caught one, and I didn't. So it's kind of funny how when you want something, it doesn't come. I will say the end of the story is on the last day of our trip, it would actually it was a good milkfish tide, and I finally got my milkfish, and I got a big one. But
0: on the same trip,
1: same trip. So it's kind of funny. But that, I have to say, even though it's not like necessarily the hardest fish to catch in the world, it was for me. It really was.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, I have a son like that, Jeff. First time I took him tarpon fishing, caught 120-pound tarpon. First time mm. I took him permit fishing, he got his permit. <laughs> I think, <Yeah. laughs> me, I got to work, you know, like three, four, five trips. So, yeah, it's. Uh, I know those guys like that. Just have the luck. But uh, anyway, yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah, I've read about those milk fishing. When you said an algae fly, what's an algae fly?
1: Um, So they're basically going, a lot of people are familiar nowadays with carp fishing, and particularly grass carp. They look a lot like a grass carp, and they act a lot like a grass carp, which kind of goes along sometimes, you know, sipping the surface, just taking, like, gunk off the top. Well, milkfish are kind of the grass carp of the ocean. They're out there just sipping, like, gunk algae off the surface. So it's really hard to get them to eat a fly because they don't, like, see something go charging for it very often. A lot of times you might even be flossing these guys. But if you can find a situation where there's not a ton of algae and they're, they're hungry, they will move to a fly. Like but I said, it's not uh... hard to catch. It was a nemesis fish for me. It just kind of was funny. But yeah. it's done. Thank goodness.
0: <laughs> so they don't eat. Other bait fish or anything like that—they're basically vegetarians. Is that, or do they eat yeah, crabs 99%, and stuff too? Yeah, they are huh.
1: 99% vegetarians. But that's another funny story. One time I was with a guy and he caught one on a clouser.
0: So you know, opportunity knocks, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, a very rare yeah. situation, but it happens. He's like, "What's this thing? This is ugly." I'm like, "Dude, I'd be—I would cry for that thing right now." <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, you got one. That's the important.
1: Yep. Add it to the
0: list. Yep, add it to the list. So um, what about what's been the most memorable? And again, I mean, that could be situation, location, people you were with. A lot of those things play a role, I guess.
1: Yeah, it's a broad question, but I, I do have one that really stands out. Atlantic salmon fishing is a very expensive part of our sport, and I've done very little of it, but I have been invited to do do it in a few places, and uh, you know, it's it's also not easy unless you're really experienced with swinging flies and you hit it right. And I had the privilege of, I've fished in Scotland, I've fished in Norway, I've fished in Canada, I've fished in Maine, and I had never really got a big salmon, and I really thought it was never going to happen. And thanks to doing the fly fishing shows, I did one of my Trout Bombing the World shows, and one of the guys from the Iceland booth happened to be watching my show, and was there to take a nap, he was really there to, to watch the show, but when it was over, he came up, he's like, I love that show, he goes, there's only one thing wrong with it, I go, what's wrong with it? He goes, you don't have anything from Iceland in there, and I'm like, well, that's because I've never been, and, you know, short story there is like, he got me over to Iceland and I told him I said, you know, I've never got a good quality Atlantic salmon that would make my trip. And we had tough conditions. It was the typical trip for me. They weren't there. The weather was too bad. The river was off color. But we just kept moving around and we kept kept the fly in the water. And not only did I finally get a good Atlantic salmon, but I got one of the biggest ones they got in the season. It was just incredible. I mean, it was just it was one of my favorite fish, and that was the fish that I posted today on my uh, Jeff Courier Global Fly Fishing on Facebook. So if you want to see that fish, you can just see the look in my eye. I'm like, yes, finally.
0: Anything um, specific you had to do to get that fish, or was it just just working it?
1: Just working that it. They, yeah. I had to keep going. I mean, a lot of people would probably have given up on that trip. It was that tough of a trip the first week. I mean even Ingo, I was with my friend Ingo, who now is a really good friend. I think he only caught one that first four days as well. And he's an expert. And but every time it was my turn, I went out there and gave her heck, even though it was cold, and probably had leaky waders, it was raining. And um, I just wanted it. And that's the thing, you know, when it comes to going for the tough species, you have to want it. You don't get these things don't just happen, you have to want it, you have to, you know, Keep giving me 100%, especially on the tough fish, or they're not going to come.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, I hear a lot of stories about Iceland being a, a tough trip. As beautiful as the land is, but, well, you got the elements really working you over there most of the time, it sounds like. Um, they they uh, do.
1: Thank God yeah. for good waders and good rain gear.
0: How long did you spend there?
1: Week or? I've been three times now. Yeah, that first oh. trip was probably a two-week trip and uh, I hit it off with the guys and You know, I was over there really to write about it on my blog to help them develop and you know Promote their business because you know, I have a lot of people that follow my blog And then also the next year I would have pictures to put into my shows, you know, I'm traveling around the country doing shows and they had some success with you know, the work I did for them So I've been over two more times. So I've done another salmon trip and then I did the the giant Browns of Lake Thingamalotten with the uh, fish partner guys. So I was going to actually was considering going over in a couple of weeks, but uh, I think I'll put it off another year to go back over.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. My daughter went there as well, not for fishing, but she just really enjoyed it. Sent back some beautiful pictures. So, yeah, on the bucket list of many of us. Yeah. Um, let me just look at here. I think we have one of your friends writing in here. <laughs> a Howie from Iron River. Um Yes. Excluding Wisconsin because that would not be fair. What US state has the best fishing and beer? <laughs> oh. boy. not not counting with excluding Wisconsin.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean I mean that's a very tough question, Howie, but you know, I lived in Idaho 34 years for a reason. Idaho is still some of the best trout fishing. It has the Henry Fork, which is my beloved river. It's the one thing I will always miss, you know, other than my friends moving to Wisconsin. And, hey, you got the Trout Hunter Bar and restaurant right in the river. How bad can that be? You can always go in and get a good old home brew there. So let's say Idaho.
0: Okay. His second question is, species on the fly or beers? Which is more?
1: I've probably, I mean, i got 443 species.
0: I've probably had more (laughs)
1: different kinds of beer in my life.
0: (laughs) (laughs) More beer. (laughs) Okay. They're easier to catch, right? Yeah. yeah.
1: They are. You just walk into the right place and take out your money and you got
0: one. Yep, yep, yep. So um, another question. What has been the most challenging journey you've had to take to get a fish?
1: Okay that's cool cuz now it kind of circles back to when you said what's the hardest fish I wanted to talk about the golden moss here which is the world's largest carp but it's not like a carp that most people are thinking of this is a a member of the carp family that lives in roaring whitewater rivers in the Himalayan foothills so the golden moss here is also probably one of the prettiest fish on the planet but anyway somehow I got a hair me that I wanted to catch one of those about 25 years ago because I read about them and stumbled into features like uh, they used to make luggage tags out of their scales and that the, the English compared them to, you know, better than fishing for Atlantic salmon because, you know, the English spent a lot of time in the lower Himalayas, particularly India. And uh, so I got a bug to go catch them. And my wife and I in 2002, we traveled India and Nepal for three months, and we never got one. Not on the fly. We resorted to bait the last week, went into a camp that said we could fish the ragi ball and get to see him. So we did. And I uh, thought I'd never go back to catch them again, because three months in India and an unorganized trip meaning we were living like locals riding the buses, the trains. It beat us up pretty bad. We were uh, you know, we are messed up with dysentery and all kinds of stuff. Anyway, of course, I got home, wrote about it and how I didn't catch one, and I got an invite to go back. So I went back and fished with who is now a great friend, Misty Dillon, and oh, caught, yeah. my golden, caught my golden – caught my – yeah, you might have even had him on before.
0: Yeah, but, I did. Uh, yeah.
1: I went through some tough times, you know, even with Misty, you know, long hikes, blown-out rivers. um, I told this story one time about you know running into a tiger. I mean, hands down, the golden here has put me through some pretty tough times. Even now that I've caught them, I, did a, I worked for the World Wildlife Fund about five years ago, I think it was 2014, went over to Bhutan. They were gonna dam up a, a river in Bhutan and the World Wildlife Fund was trying to stop it. So they had to, to prove that there were some endangered species that used this river. So they had to find golden moths here and they had made two trips and couldn't find them. So they were losing this game and somehow I got invited on the trip. Well, I know my friend Mike Dawes, who uh, used to own World Cast Anglers anyway, he got on an expedition together and got me invited on it to go fish to go find the moss here. And we did, but I'll tell you what, that was the hardest trip of my life. We had the worst rain I've ever had. The tents they had for us, you know, everything was prepared ahead of time. So at this river the tent leaked or the insulate pads leaked and we we're sleeping on rocks the rafts leaked we had white water they didn't know about it was unbelievable I, I don't know how we made it through that damn thing but mm. we caught more beautiful golden moss here and chocolate you did huh. yeah another species of moss here that I wasn't expecting that trip the chocolate moss here is a very very cool fish it doesn't get as big as the golden but if you just Google like my name and Bhutan for my name and some of these other places we've mentioned, you'll get these stories. But the uh, courier Bhutan trip was definitely a good read. If you have time.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, um are they? Is the masir? Is it hard to get them to take the fly? Is it that there's yeah. not that many of them? Hard to find. What's the the big challenge? You have to
1: get the whole package. So okay. the scarcity of that fish is. Unfortunately, a big deal, you know, that part of the world, you know, got a huge population I mean, people eat fish and uh, they're not afraid to throw the nets out and catch them. So, you know, it's hard to find good populations in Masir. There's also a lot of pollution in places like India and Pakistan and Nepal. So, you know, it's tough on the fish there. Then you've got to travel there. I mean, not everybody wants to hop on an airplane and fly to the Himalayas. It's a, it's a long way to go. And when you get off the plane, you're not there yet. You're probably going to be on a 12-hour bus ride and then maybe a boat ride and then a hike. And then, yeah, the fish are very difficult to fool. If you've done any carp fishing with a fly, you know that there are times when you see fish and you just cannot get them to eat the fly. Well, imagine, you know, fishing a roaring whitewater river and trying to get a fish. I mean, placing your fly in front of the fish is even harder than a a pond or a slow-moving river. And then you... You hook into, like I mentioned earlier, you know, the English considered the Masir as one of the most difficult fish, um, hardest fighting freshwater fish in the world. So now you got to land them in whitewater. So everything is against you when you're fishing for golden Masir. But when you get one, you no, know, it's the highest reward I'd say there is in freshwater to land a golden Masir. And, you know, I love it. I'm going back to Bhutan exactly a year from now. We'll be back over there again, which is going to be very exciting.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sounds like it. Well, it's nice to get some of those really tough ones under the belt, <laughs> right? Yeah, uh, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let me uh, let me take a quick break here, Jeff, and we'll come right back and uh, dig into some more of your great experiences. So hang tight. We'll be right back. Okay. Enrico Puglisi flies pride themselves with creating unique and one-of-a-kind flies and fly-tying material. Enrico has been experimenting with durable synthetic and natural materials to create flies to catch fish for more than 20 years. His innovative products, including brushes, fibers, and components, have made a major impact on the direction of saltwater fly fishing, and his methods and materials are respected worldwide. Whether you want your flies hand-tied for you or you like to tie your own, be sure to visit Enrico Puglisi Flies and browse through their online catalog. Visit epflies.com and do a little shopping today. Again, that's epflies.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We're talking with Jeff Courier about his quest for many, many species of fish. So if you'd like to ask Jeff a question, go to our homepage, askaboutflyfishing.com, and use the Q&A text box to send us your question. Okay, Jeff, I neglected earlier to ask you what's going on in your fly fishing world. I know you just made your move. Wisconsin. And um, what have you been up to and what's the forefront here of next things to do?
1: Well, I uh, just finished the show season two weeks ago. I left my house here in Wisconsin on January 6th and did uh, almost all the fly fishing shows, which was up and down the East Coast. And in between the shows, I speak at clubs individually. So I believe between January 9th, And March 15th, I did 37 talks at the shows and clubs. So pretty much uh, since January 6th, all I've done is work. Um, On March 15th, after my last show, which was in Oregon, so I stayed in Oregon and did some uh, bull trout fishing, some steelheading, and some walleye fishing. Got some giant walleyes and big bull trout. It was really phenomenal. Uh, I got home a week ago Today, actually, you know, we lived in our van throughout the winter, you know, bounced around hotels as the clubs and show put us up at. And uh, this week I've been I had two things bad stuff and good stuff. The bad stuff is I've had a shoulder injury that's been really hurting me bad for a couple years. And I did something that messed it up really bad in September. And i been kind of limping through the last six months trying not to cast too much. It's actually my left shoulder. So Anyway, I did an MRI last week, and my diagnosis on Tuesday was that I have a torn rotator cuff. So, yeah, I'm kind of bummed because I might have to do the surgery. I mean, I'm going to have to do it, and I could be out four to six months. Um, I have been doing PT for three months, and I've been strengthening it. And, you know, I'm fishing because it's my stripping arm. I'm doing okay. I'm in pain. I wake up in the middle of the night a few times, but... Right now, I'm not going to get the surgery because it's summer, um, and I got a lot of good fishing locally here, and also, I was, when you said you went to high school in Duluth, I laughed because the minute we're done here, I'm hopping in my car and driving Duluth because I got a 5.20 a.m. flight to Mexico tomorrow, <laughs> oh,
0: so, <geez. laughs>
1: and we got a snowstorm, so I want to get up to the airport at least. I'm just going to pull in the airport, pull my ticket, park, and sleep in my car, and Set my alarm <laughs> to walk into the check-in counter at 4:30 a.m. Just oh, want to geez. make sure I get there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> my life is better. Where, going going Me- where are you going to Mexico?
1: Going to uh, Grand Slam Lodge. I'm hosting a group of anglers uh, that are big-time fly-fishing international members, and they donate a lot. So they booked this trip, and they wanted to have someone. That knows the area and knows the fishing as their host so i'm going to go and make sure everybody has a great time we did it through yellow dog it's gonna be fun
0: so where's the grand slam
1: there it's in ascension bay um but you don't have to fly to it so it's on kind of the north end of ascension bay we're going to drive down to punta allen and take a boat out to the lodge
0: oh okay okay good good well uh Good luck catching that flight. <laughs> At least yeah, you are to sleeping in the car in the middle of the winter up there in Duluth. Uh, that was, was a uh, cold night. Yeah, I, I grew up, part of my childhood was, three years was Anchorage, Alaska. That's where I really learned how to fish. And um, and then later in high school, moved to Duluth, Minnesota. And Duluth, Minnesota was way colder than Alaska was. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's the coldest place I've ever lived, but uh yeah. Nice people though there. Nice
1: people. Yeah, fabulous. I figure I'm gonna pull into the the airport parking lot around twelve because tonight 'cause I'm almost two hours away and I know I'm driving in snow and ice rain, so I'm gonna take it easy. I probably wanna get there till one and uh my car'll be nice and hot and I will just climb over the back seat, get in my sleeping bag and throw my puppy on me and uh set my alarm for four and then run into the airport, it'll be nice and warm, it'll be right there. So We'll make it work. Well, my main thing is I just hope the damn flight goes. That's what I'm worried
0: about. Yeah. Well, it proves you're you're the ultimate adventurer there, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> no matter what, whatever it takes, right? Whatever it takes.
1: Anything well, for um, fishing. Um, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, anything for fishing, despite my age, I'm still living like a trout bum. I love it.
0: <laughs> so, uh, so, um, yeah, uh, you had mentioned it before, but tell everybody about your your website and uh, where they can follow you and learn more about what you're up to.
1: Yeah, so jeffcurrier.com. That's easy. Just just to spell my last name right: C U R I E R. But it's a lot more than just a blog. And I do have a blog. I've written about every single day of fishing since 2009, October of 29. So like this Mexico trip, I'll fall a few days behind because I don't probably won't have internet down there, but by the end of next week so like you know the 30th by the end of the april i'll have my day-by-day accounts you know you'll see what i caught i'll have photos and you know i put techniques you know what what worked to catch that big permit i hope ha, ha, ha. Um, <laughs> but yeah and you can and like i mentioned we were just talking about bhutan when i said google courier bhutan you would find my day-by-day accounts of fishing in bhutan in 2014 in fact if you google any country and any fish in my name something's gonna come up and you can read the story about it, which is kinda of cool. Yeah. Um, I yeah. also I also have my species list on my website. I have um you know some just entertaining articles and stuff that I've written over the years and uh cool pictures. Just check it out. I think you'd enjoy it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Good, good. Thanks for sharing that. And I'm sure the folks will will check that out. Okay, let's you get a few more questions and and maybe we can get you out of here early.
1: No, <laughs> uh, you don't have no to. No guarantees. I'm
0: planning. But, uh, <laughs> um, Finlayson, who was also on my show, wrote in and he says, during your travels, what have been your scariest encounters with people and animals?
1: Um, well, I've definitely had a few scary encounters, but never really life-threatening. Um mm-hmm. I've had people rob me. I remember years and years ago back like 1993 I shouldn't have been in Central America where I was cuz I was, you know, traveling between El Salvador and Honduras and Nicaragua. And when I crossed, I had I was doing a walk across from Honduras into Nicaragua and it was a bad time of day, it was kind of sunset. And I had like five military guys come out to me and my friend and they were well armed and they're just like they were very polite they just wanted our money and you know they just smiled and said you know give us your money and um, i always had kind of a little trick I, I had learned it from a very experienced traveler from that that had done a lot of travel in africa he said whenever you're in a hot spot carry like you know 21 bills and carry them in your top pocket because if someone's robbing you and you hand that to them they're going to assume that it's a lot of money and run and That's exactly what happened in that situation. I knew I was going into a hot spot I, I had read my Lonely Planet book which nobody probably uses those anymore with the internet But <laughs> I said be careful. You're probably gonna have some issues here and uh, these guys grabbed that wad of $25 It might have only been 18 who knows and they took off They thought they had it made and we got to the, the customs and we on the other side um, I was in a bus jacking in Malawi years ago and I was with my wife that was a little more life-threatening because there was a couple of people that got stabbed but oh. we were okay and the bus driver was a badass and he got us out of there and that's when we were fishing Lake Malawi and then the scariest animal thing if you go to the interview you did with me about golden here in India was when yeah. I ran into the, the tiger yeah um, hands down yeah. that was very close call and uh, yeah I won't tell that story but you can <laughs> Definitely be able to listen to it cause that, yeah, was, go
0: listen. that was insane. It was insane. yeah, yeah, I'm very lucky. Yeah, that's uh, that's funny about the money thing too. When I I went to high part of my high school was in a place called Newburgh, New York, and um, it was a rough high school. And I learned early on, guys would come up to you and they'd say, "Give me your lunch money," you know, and they'd want your lunch money, and so they'd, they'd empty your pockets. So I got wise. And I started putting my lunch money in my sock, (laughs) and I said, (laughs) "Check me! I don't have any money! I don't have any money!" And it worked. (laughs) So the sock sock trick may work too for you someday.
1: (laughs) Well, I probably had money in my sock that day, but that's where I probably had my twenties and 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 days. it worked out. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. So, um, Kurt's other question was, "What has been your best experience with people?"
1: Oh, man, pretty much all over the world. It's just like in the U.S., I mean, there's good people, there's bad people. If you kind of, you know, use your your sixth sense, usually you can find your way to, to avoid the bad people and find the nice people. Um, I would say, you know, when I'm traveling in South America, I mean, when I used to travel by bus and backpack when I was, you know, a young kid and had no money at, at all, I would say the South American people were always, always trying to help you, you know, even with the language barrier, they were going out of their way to make sure you caught the right bus or make sure you weren't out at night in the wrong places. But I got to say, Africa really surprised me. My wife and I hitchhiked across Africa in 2005, um, but it was not a hitchhiking trip when we made the plans. We were going to ride the buses and, you know, rent cars and do this and that, but their bus system basically is dysfunctional over there you could wait for a bus three days and it would never come so the locals were like we don't take buses we just you know you just stick your thumb out and hop in the car and everybody's nice here and i couldn't even fathom like oh my god i'm going to try hitchhiking in africa well we hitchhiked in africa for three months and um we never had a problem the only problem was when we were in malawi we took the bus that day because we were leaving the capital city and we didn't want to hitchhike through the city and we should have i guess but those people were sweet. I mean, these are people that really don't have anything like what we have in the U.S., and they'll go out of their way to make sure you're fed, make sure you have a ride, make sure you're not going to be out sleeping with a lion. So pretty cool.
0: The, uh, yeah, that's that's always nice to hear, you know. Um, I think there's way more good people in the world than bad, you know. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um Another question, can you tell us about any memorable or unexpected experiences you had while pursuing different fish species around the world?
1: Well, I mean, gosh, the uh, just that having a hitchhike in Africa was unexpected. That would be a good one right there. And, uh, yeah. But, yeah, sometimes with fish, um, you'll find out that they eat something you totally weren't expecting. Uh, like I would say, tigerfish, it's all, you know, it used to be it. it when I first tiger fish was in two thousand and five, the last seems like the last five, six, ten years people have gotten really into it since two thousand and fifteen and there's a lot of info on them. But the first time I went there wasn't a lot of good info um using the fly. and it was all like you could have cloudsters and streamers, and it turns out they took poppers really well and I'm just lucky that I don't go anywhere in the world without a few poppers, so I had them and it wasn't like we were going to catch them with a closer and you had to have a popper but I mean, I think everybody that fly fishes knows that catching fish off the top is pretty darn fun and maybe the funnest, so that was a surprise, and I was glad I had him with me on that trip
0: yeah that that's uh brings up a question here. Matt McGraw in Virginia wrote in and he says, I know Jeff probably gets this all the time, but I like the question. I'm going to ask it anyway <laughs> what is what is his list of most versatile flies for fishing for exotic species. Think specific patterns and colors, but not sizes. I write this assuming we can tie these flies in any size we wish, for example, black woolly boogers, white clousers, or chartreuse poppers. (laughs) I love it when I talk to someone who has caught a weird species in an exotic locale, but they did it on an ordinary fly that we all know and love. So do you have... A box of those ordinary flies that you take everywhere?
1: Oh yeah. The reason you don't see me fly tying at the fly fishing shows in the winter time, you know you got Landon and you got Ben, you got a lot of the guys doing the fly tying demos is because my fly tying number one is not nearly as good as theirs, but I'm also by standards of people that want to watch, I'm very boring because I don't need a fancy fly to catch fish. So I would say the answer to the question, dry fly-wise, I don't go anywhere in the world. Even if I'm going to Amazon a peacock bass trip, I still have a very small foam box with an assortment of good trout flies. Like, I'll always have parachute atoms, I'll always have a few caddis, I'll always have a few hoppers, and I always have a really good assortment of Chernobyl land-type stuff. I mean, I've caught oh. peacocks on Chernobyls. I've caught, you know, golden moss here in Chernobyls. I've caught everything on Chernobyl ants. And, of course, big trout all over the world. And then the terrestrials, I mentioned hoppers, but I probably have a few ants and beetles. And those are small flies. So even when I go on an exotic trip for big fish, I still have that little box. takes up no space in my, in my stuff because if something weird happens, I'll have them. And it also in dry flies, a pretty good assortment of poppers. I do bring a few nymphs. Yuck bugs, Prince nymphs, you know some stoneflies. Again, I don't go overboard if I'm fishing for you know tiger fish in Africa, but maybe I'll see. You know they have a species of fish over there that's called a yellowfish, and I think there's at least 12 to 15 different species of them. But they act like trout, so when I see a big yellowfish, I want to try and get them. So I have my nymphs, and then uh, always a good selection of clousers. Deceivers and pugliesi type flies, you know the ones that are real cut that look like fish, in a variety of colors and sizes. You know, if I could only take one of all the flies you just mentioned, I would have clouser minnows. That's always going to catch fish everywhere in the world, every species, everywhere you go.
0: That and a magic marker, and you're you're set to go, huh? Pretty Uh, much, yeah. Yeah, change up the color a bit if you need to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've caught just about everything on those closers, too. They're what what a great design and so simple too, you know. Yep. Yeah, yeah. There was um another question here. Uh what is your go-to fly fishing gear setup and do you customize your equipment depending on the species you're targeting?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I guess a lot of times I'll be going for a fish that Uh, There's not a lot of information about, especially, you know, again, going back in my past. 20 years ago, nobody knew how to catch a Nile perch and a fly or, you know, the tiger fish thing was new. So I did have to figure stuff out. So I would have to say, like, one of the first things that I got really good at doing was covering water because, you know, I didn't really know the habitat um, and exactly where a Nile perch lived. And the first place I really chased Nile perch was in Egypt and ended up going over there three times the next few years because I was really getting that fish dialed, and I really loved them. But, you know, I had to hit every inch of water. I didn't know if they lived in five feet of water. I didn't know if they were in 20 feet of water. I didn't know if they were behind rocks or under cliffs or near logs. So I did that, and also you also have to break down the water column itself, you know, whether it's a river or lake. You know, these fish near the surface or in the middle or in the bottom. So these are all, like, things that I had to, specific pattern in which when I got to the river or the lake that I had like a a specific you know way I did things in order and remembering what I was doing as I was going so if I hit a fish then boom okay maybe that's maybe I have a little bit dialed and uh, I fish fast when I'm exploring water and trying to catch a new fish I do it pretty quickly too because Usually, I'm a long way from home, and it's a limited time thing, so you've got to be efficient as you can ever be, and I guess another thing people don't think about, too, is that, like, you have to be in, in really good condition, you know. I'm no specimen as far as health and being in good condition, but I always get as good as I can. Like, I have this torn rotator cuff, but I've been doing everything I can the last, Few weeks to be ready for Mexico just you know strengthening the muscles around my torn cuff so that I can fish and and then endurance so I don't care if it's raining or snowing or if you know it's miserable out I'm going to keep my fly in the water you know you don't catch fish by thinking about it and being on shore or or back to the room early because it's raining out you've got to be out there doing all these things and then it comes to you then it happens
0: yeah yeah, yeah, you got to work for it, right? Got to put you put, a, work put it, it all out there, right? Yeah. And, and you know that's true for almost any goal in life. It doesn't matter what it is, but um, yeah, you got to put it all out there. Do you have any other? You know, you already mentioned a couple there, but uh, any other insights or techniques that you've developed to increase your success rate? You know, when targeting these new oh. species.
1: I would say that I have definitely mastered the the fishing multiple flies, you know, Mm. at a time, which is another thing, because a lot of times you're not 100% sure. You have a good idea what this fish eats, but you don't know what color is going to be best, or maybe they live in the murky water. So, you know, not only fishing multiple flies, but fishing the right fly. So, like, my top dropper, almost always when I'm in an odd situation, will be a very bright, flashy fly. So, like... A fly called the Creolex. A lot of times I am fishing in the jungle, and there's always a lot of rain, so the water will be slightly off color. And I feel like that fly flashes ahead of my regular-looking flies that are going to be coming, you know, down my leader a little further and gets their attention, and then they bump into, you know, my black sculpin or you know my clown's minnow or whatever. So right. that would be one right there. Multiple flies is very helpful on trying to figure things out for new species.
0: And a mix of, of more of an attractor and a natural of some sort, it sounds like, right?
1: Yeah, fish, I usually fish three flies, so I'll have a bright fly, a dark fly, and a light fly.
0: Oh, okay. okay.
1: Bright, Good. dark, and light. And whichever one you know catches three fish first, then I'll hone in on that fly.
0: And are you doing that in the, the salt as well? Do you follow that same Not method?
1: Not very often the salt. A, yeah. Not a rare situation. The problem with the salt is a lot of times you'll hook a fish and he'll take off and that other fly is, is bouncing around and then another fish will grab that. And then, you know, freshwater, most fish you can land both fish because they're not going to break you up. And salt water, when a barracuda hits your flashy fly at 40 miles an hour,
0: that's game over pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> game over. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, let, me, uh, let me take another quick break here, and then we'll finish up and get you on the road. Sound good? Yeah. Fly fishers International needs your support. Its conservation projects at both the national and club level are addressing critical issues of importance to fly fishers. FFI efforts include being a strong advocate for removing dams on the Snake River, preserving water quality through their Science on the Fly program, and taking action to conserve the declining populations of Atlantic striped bass. FFI serves as a strong advocate for fly fishing in all waters for all fish, preserve and promote the arts of fly casting and fly time, and to help ensure future generations can continue to enjoy these one-of-a-kind experiences. These efforts won't be nearly as effective without your help. If you're not already a member, we invite you to join Fly Fishers International as they work to cultivate conservation, education, and community within the sport of fly fishing. Join Fly Fishers International today and help support their fine work. For more information, go to their website at flyfishersinternational.org. That's flyfishersinternational.org. If you're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, we're talking with Jeff Courier. If you'd like to ask Jeff a question, go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and fill out that Q&A text box and send us your question. Okay. Uh, we have, okay, uh, we've got a few questions about the quest and then a few kind of random questions which I'll run by you too Jeff so um, is there a particular fish that's next on the list that you really want to go after
1: yeah there's I mean there's quite a few I'll say my dream fish that I want to catch is a goliath tiger fish which you know is uh, native to the Congo and the Central African Republic both very difficult countries to go to these days because of You know, the Congo's always got a civil war going on, and the Central African Republic, I think, is relatively safe, but there's issues traveling there now, too, for Americans. So, let alone to find a guide and a boat and all that stuff. So, I don't know if that will happen, but I really want to catch a Goliath tiger bat, and that's a fish that gets, you know, 70 to 100 pounds, different than the tiger fish you see in pictures nowadays in the magazine. It's just a monster. Um, That's
0: a freshwater fish? Right?
1: Yep. Freshwater fish with big teeth. And uh, one that's fascinated me, and I really feel like I've got a hold of I've had a couple of close calls uh, where I was going. I was going to the Congo a number of years ago to do a film where we got canceled two weeks before because of a coup or something. And then a few years ago uh, before the COVID, I was going to have a chance to go to the Central African Republic, and that blew up because of the COVID. So I feel like that fish is a nemesis. And hopefully that happens. But I got some easy ones, too. Like, uh, I won't say easy, but I'm going to go get the, the ANIC permit with um, Josh Hutchins of Australia, who owns Aussie Fly Fishing. I'll do that next summer in 2024. I've got some oddball easy fish. Like, I've never got an alligator gar on a fly. Right, we you're talking and,
0: about that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's not, not a really tough one. I just need to get in a plane and go down and give her heck and... I mean I've never caught um a white crappie on fly. So Oh really? I kinda yeah. I kinda keep keep a few in my back pocket because every year in my fishing life I've added new species. And uh if I ever came November and I hadn't caught one and I could always go on a plane and go or even good drive to southern Wisconsin probably and get a white crappie. So right. I'm saving those guys. Or I could go <laughs> see Conway and get my Mako, which I will eventually
0: too. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, well, uh, good, good goals to set for yourself. And yeah, I'm surprised about the crappie. I mean, I you was know, thinking about when I was a kid catching crappie in in Wisconsin. So uh, they're there. <laughs> they're
1: well, I've there. caught plenty, plenty of black crappie, which is the common one. And, oh, okay. So uh, the white's just a little different. He's it's, it's his own species, more of a southern crappie.
0: And I think you just answered my uh, next question, but. Sounds like the most excited you, you want to catch is uh, for is uh, is the Goliath, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. I want that fish bad. <laughs> I hope I get them.
0: They're listening, Jeff. They're listening. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, just make sure you go in good weather.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> since, that seems, since that
0: bad weather seems to track you wherever you go. Right? Yes,
1: it does. Monsoon yeah. courier, it's a real deal. <laughs>
0: I have a couple random questions. Minnesota says, you saw your artwork on a Mongolian, Mongolia River Outfitters Instagram post. Did you have a chance to fish with them? And if so, can you talk about the highlights?
1: Yeah, I actually didn't fish with that guy. I just, you know, we were, we, we hit it off because I had been to Mongolia and he was Mongolian. So he's really excited to meet somebody that had been to Mongolia. But Yeah, that was one of the great trips I've ever had in my life. I got to go on a float trip. Everybody had to take 30 days off from work. So it was back in 2008 when I was working at Jack Dennis. I remember Jack was all bummed out. I wanted to take 30 days off. But I knew I did a good job in case Jack's listening, so I knew I wasn't going to get fired or anything. So I took the 30 days and went. And the reason we needed 30 days is because we floated a river that our host slash guide, his name was Peter Mullin, and I'm still in touch with Peter. He lives in Colorado, actually. Um, he was had been over there 10 years and he was Going to end his business and you know come back to the state, you know and have a family and stuff, which he did So we wanted to do a grand finale before he left and do this river He'd always want to do anyway. We floated it was 22 days and our fishing was incredible and uh, we caught, I think we got 45 timing on that trip up to 52 inches it was just amazing. Um, I picked off a couple other oddball species. They have a Mongolian grayling over there, which is different than the Arctic or the European. And uh, they have the lenok, which is another very cool fish that we got into. So, yeah, a lot of highlights there, a uh, whole story amongst itself. It was just a, a fabulous trip.
0: Do yeah, it, 22 Joe. days. That's one day longer than the Grand Canyon trip. <laughs> that, a long geez. float trip. I'll
1: tell you, especially if you don't know how long it's going to be.
0: Oh, did, uh, what was the, uh, how did they supply you, or did you take everything with you, or did they? We took,
1: cash- uh, yep, we had a interpreter, we had we had a swamper, you know, a guy that rode two rafts, basically, and, you know, with all the food and tents and all that stuff, and we had this old man, true Mongolian guy, that uh, he was kind of our scout, like, it was funny, because his name was Chinbot, and he didn't speak any English, but he would get out of his his tent in the morning, he was super cool, he would smile, and he would put his finger in the air, and he'd look around, and also he'd look at you, and he'd go, no snow, we're like, yeah, Chimba, that's awesome, sweet, <laughs> no snow, <laughs> we'd he'd go, no snow, uh, but the day he said there was snow, we got it, holy cow, we had three days that were just miserable, you know, the only way you can do a trip like that is at the end of the season, um, when the regular customers go over. So we started on September 17th, and we finished on October 15th. So it was getting yeah. a little cold. It's further north in yeah. Montana. It was pushing it.
0: Yeah, yeah, interesting. This is just a interesting question. Jim Morton in Florida wants to know. He wants to go fishing for trout. Any trip in the world, I'm interested in catching a lot of nice-sized brown or rainbow. I'm not interested and fancy food or fancy lodges. I'm interested in great fishing. Do you have a favorite trip or recommendations for Jim?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't know Jim's experience level, so I'll just I'll give you three answers. If he lives in Florida, I'm gonna I'm just gonna make a wild guess, and this is not an insult to you, Jim. It's just like I'm guessing that you are an intermediate trout fisherman, maybe even a beginner. I don't know. In which case, one of the great places to go the good old Rocky Mountain West, or better option, it sounds like that money's not the big option there, go down to South America, fish Patagonia, go to Chile or to Argentina. Lots of rainbows, lots of brown trout, lots of fish, very cooperative on big dry flies. A lot of great guides. You don't want to go to a lodge, so I'm sure you could you know, stay at a hotel and have a guide pick you up every morning and, and go fishing. My favorite place to trout fish is New Zealand. I mean, I just love it, but that's intermediate to advanced level fishing you know someone that doesn't have a lot of experience could still go there but you have to realize that you know it's a situation where you're going to catch one or two big fish a day it's not you're not going to go out like you would on the Madison and catch 25 fish or the Southport and maybe catch 50 fish it's one or two fish a day could be a big brown could be a big rainbow um, for me that kind of reward is very appealing and we already talked about Iceland, but I, I am hot on Iceland. I love going over and fishing for big, giant brown trout with my friends at Fish Partner and then also my friend Ingo Helgitson, who has a uh, tanga liqueur, which is a, a sea-run brown trout fishery and just gigantic brown trout. So I like Iceland, too. But you've got to be pretty advanced for that as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jim from Ohio asks, Ten years from now, what's your prediction on how fly fishing will change? All Euro-nymphing, traditional fly line, gear, etc. Do you have any predictions? Um, I do.
1: It's funny that you just threw the Euro thing in there because it seems like a lot of people are getting into the sport of fly fishing and going directly to the Euro. and. Um, you know, I've been fly fishing a long time, and I got into fly fishing because I thought it was wonderful to watch a fish take a fly off the surface, and that was my addiction. And I think most people that have been fly fishing for more than 20 years, that's why they're in the sport. And uh, all of a sudden, there's this new group of people getting in, and they don't even know how to cast. And uh, mm-hmm. I saw proof of that just three weeks ago in Oregon. We, My friend said so we got another guy coming and he wants to get into competitive fly fishing he's really excited he wants to meet you I'm like oh cool it'll be fun he couldn't cast like he's like he made this awful cast you know we were streamer fishing for bull trout and I was like what what's going on and the guy goes oh I'm sorry I don't know how to cast I'm like what didn't you you want to get into competitive fly fishing and Scott's like and Scott looks at him too he's like what you told me you were you know getting ready to learn how to competitive fly fish and he goes yeah I never learned how to cast I just nymph and I was shocked but then it's funny because later that night Scott and I were together and we like we had this conversation like oh my god there's a lot of people that are just like nymphing." and I thought again last week when I was coming home we stopped the Hawaii River in uh, Oregon you know I was going to Idaho to visit some friends so we're kind of cutting back that way and all I saw were people nymphing I saw fish rising you know, I was up on a cliff watching, looking for, I was looking for a place to fish. There wasn't any room for the couriers, unfortunately. It was very busy. But everybody was nymph fishing. So I think a little bit of the art of fly fishing might be um, going away, which is very sad. I, I think, I don't know.
0: I hate to be negative. That makes sense, a, a, though, Jeff. It's weird. I mean, good. yeah, because, well, you can do a lot of fishing, nymphing, without having to cast more than 20 feet, right? I mean, that's Absolutely. just a flip. You know, you, you have a, a heavy prince nymph, and they'll take the line out for you. So, and a, a couple of weights, right? And then so many of the guides, you know, put on the suspension device and a couple nymphs, and you float, right? I mean, yep. you don't have, have to, their client, don't have to cast. Yeah, They
1: want their client to catch fish. They want a good tip at the end of the day. Why why put a client into something they're not very good at it and right. they get frustrated? Let's just make it easy, because... You know, I guess circling back to the real question there is, like, I think that people are just looking for quick, easy fish as opposed to enjoying the challenges of chasing hard fish on dry flies. It, it's kind of going away, which is kind of a bummer.
0: Yeah, and all you need is a a taste of the salt to uh fix that uh, mm. non-interest in casting, right? I mean, oh, man, I've never worked so hard except in the salt as far as casting goes um yeah and uh that's right you know everything going against you and you're tired and the sun's beating on you <laughs> it's a challenge i'm st- i'm still remembering this there's one permit last year that i waited with a guide we, we hunted them down we were crossing the-, the reef and got him right in front i put that fly you know like a foot and a half in front of him he just looked at it and went over it you know and i'm going <laughs> <laughs> dang <laughs> I've been working for days for that shot, and I did it. And I didn't get him. You know, uh, it was. I'm still frustrated about that. But anyway, you'll get. That's fishing, him. right? You'll him. Yep, you'll <laughs> you, get. Him. You've been there many more times than I have.
1: I know. So. Oh yeah, I'm sure I'll get frustrated by a permit within 48 hours, guaranteed.
0: <laughs> Down there, yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple more. How has your pursuit of diverse species affected your perspective on fly fishing, and its role as both a sport and a means of connecting with nature?
1: Oh, I've always had a great combination with that. I I think that, uh, you know, I'm a bird nerd. A lot of people don't really know that about me, but you'll uh, there might be three fish rising in front of me, and my buddy will come around the corner like, Kurt, what are you doing? I'm like, shh, I'm listening to a bird. You know, I'm trying to get close to this bird, so I always mix nature with fishing, and I love it, and I think that I'm very fortunate that I've been able to travel around the world, so I've really got to see some amazing things in nature you know whether mm-hmm. it's a lion in Africa or you know the tiger in in India it's just it's cool 75% fishing 25% nature and uh, I think that's a good formula for people to go by keep that diversity alive
0: yeah yeah i think a lot of us feel that way at least coming from the old school of fly fishing it was it was always you know just being out there just being out there in nature was good enough, whether you caught a fish or not. And uh, I still, sometimes I do that in the lake by my house. I just go down and sit down and just sit there (laughs) and enjoy it. Nobody else is around, you know, and uh, it always feels great. Um, What final question here, what advice would you give other fly fishers who are interested in, you know, pursuing a similar quest as you have for all these different species?
1: Um, I would say you know, start your list right now. You don't have to be fishing to start your list. You know, don't turn the TV on and just go kick back and open up your photo albums and like, whoa, there's a pumpkin seed. Let me get that in my list. Uh, you know, there's a yellow perch or oh god, I got to go saltwater fishing. And I caught a butterfish when I was home fishing and just kind of get that list going. I would separate it. You know, freshwater fish and saltwater fish. Maybe even get even more detailed. Warm water fish, trout, and you know and get that going and then then look into your home waters as far as what type of course fish you might have like most people don't think of like going out and targeting a sucker on fly but if you got a trout river and you see suckers on the bottom while you're trout fishing go back to that river and try to nimple those suckers up start pursuing oddball stuff and uh you know it's funny like if you and i were fishing and you hooked a big fish in the front of my boat tomorrow we fought it for five minutes and we got it in it was a sucker after we thought it was a big brown trout would be a little disappointed but if you start targeting that sucker you realize how hard it is to catch and all of a sudden it's when you get it it's like very rewarding and once you get that spirit about you we're like okay it doesn't matter that this is you know a chub of some sort maybe it's a horny head chub I went out I hunted this fish. I got it. I can add it to my list. That's friggin' cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. Every fish is a good fish. Huh? It is. Yeah, every fish is a good fish. Well, let's wrap this up so we can get you on the road. So give me another 10 minutes of your time, Jeff, and we'll finish off the show. And you can go permit fishing and get frustrated.
1: <laughs> Sounds good. Maybe I'll even catch
0: one. Maybe. Well, we're going to be giving away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International, a one-year membership to Trout Unlimited, giving away a copy of Jeff's book, Courier's Quick and Easy Guide to Warm Water Fly Fishing, which Jeff will send you out uh, directly. So hang tight. We'll be right back. We'll give away these prizes. Do you travel to fish? Medical and security emergencies happen. When they do, you can rely on Global Rescue, the world's leading membership organization, providing integrated medical security, travel risk, and crisis response services to travelers worldwide. Without a Global Rescue membership, an emergency evacuation could cost you more than $100,000. That's why over one million members trust Global Rescue to get them home when the worst happens. Don't travel without Global Rescue. membership. start at just 129. and to learn more about Global Rescue's program, just click on the Global Rescue icon in the footer of our website at askaboutflyfishing.com, or in the right column there on our home page, you'll see a logo, too. Take you right over to their site, and uh, you can check them out. Just a quick reminder to everyone, before you leave the website tonight, please take a minute and give us your feedback about the show. You can find the link on our home page in the section under tonight's show that says, what did you think of this show? Just click on the link, leave your comments. We'd really appreciate it. Now it's time to give away the winners of our drawings are randomly selected. From the show's registration database. If you didn't register for tonight's show, it's too late now, but make sure you do so for our next show so you don't miss out on any a chance to, to win some of these great prizes. If you are the lucky winner, we'll contact you after the show to provide you with information on how to receive your prize. So the first thing we'll be giving away is a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International. And to learn more about FFI, go to flyfishersinternational.org. Okay, flyfishersinternational.org. They're a great organization to support and be part of. So if you don't win, go there, join anyway. Okay, so let's see. I fire up my database here and uh, have it select somebody here, and it looks like uh, Matthew McGraw in West Virginia. Matthew McGraw in West Virginia. Congratulations on winning that membership to FFI. And now we'll give away a membership to Chout Unlimited, tu.org is where you go to find out about Chout Unlimited, another great organization to be part of. And our winner there is, let's see here, um, Sam, and for some reason, it didn't send over your last name, Sam, so... I do have your email address, Sam. You're in Ohio. And uh, I will reach out to you and uh, tell you, get you hooked up so that you can um, get your membership to Trout Unlimited. So no problem there. And now we'll give away a copy of Jeff's book and Curier's Quick and Easy Guide to Warm Water Fishing. He also has one on saltwater fishing as well. So um, you want to check those out. Now. So the question is, let me clear my queue here. And uh, on our homepage of the website there, you just put in your answer along with your name and location. First person that gets the answer to the question right will win Jeff's book. Now, the question is, I asked uh, Jeff some insights or techniques that he's developed to increase his success rate when targeting new species. What was one of those things that he does? in fresh water specifically, to increase his chances. What did he talk about? Okay, Jeff, let's see if we had somebody it has got the right answer. Got to wait a few seconds for the pause or the delay in our signal so that they can hear it and they can type. And see if I phrase that well enough to get myself an answer here. Maybe it's too hard. <laughs> okay, looks like we okay, we got some things coming in here. It looks like the first one is like Matt in Covington, Virginia. Matt, I don't have your last name here. Uh, so um, he says three flies at a time. And that, and is that the right answer, Jeff?
1: That's one of the many answers. That's legit. He wins.
0: He wins. Okay. That's legit. So, Matt, send me your – you can use the same box. And uh, – oh, is this – hold This it. is the same Matt McGraw that won the, uh, the other prize, I think. <laughs> Let's see. Or it. was that uh, – yeah. Okay. So, Matt wins twice tonight. Good for you, Matt. Uh, I now know your, your last name, McGraw there, so uh, congratulations on winning two two things in one night. That's that's never happened before, so uh, congrats on that. Um, send me, Matt, your, uh, we'll get you hooked up on the other thing, but send me your mailing address so I can get that to uh, uh, Jeff, and he'll send you out his book, autograph it, and he'll do all that whole thing, and you'll have to wait until he gets back from Mexico, but I'm sure you won't have a problem with that, so That's it. Fill out that form. Send me your address. We'll get you taken care of. And uh, thanks, everybody else. Yeah, I got other ones coming in here. Lots of uh, answers. Two flies, three flies, multiple flies, uh, bright, light, dark flies. That would have been a good answer, too. Yeah. So um, anyway, we got it. We got ourselves a winner. Thanks, everybody, for playing. Jeff, hey, really appreciate you sticking this out tonight. Especially, I didn't know you had a fight. We could have work something out, but uh, I know it all worked out for you. It always does. <laughs> so no problem. It's I'm no hopeful. Problem. <laughs> it be easier
1: to than in May because what if May I was going fishing or something, you know? Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. We wouldn't want to interrupt that. No, no. Okay. Well, have fun down there, Jeff, and um, take care. Be safe. and Take care of that shoulder, buddy.
1: All right. Thank you, Roger. Bye-bye.
0: All right. Hopefully, all of you have found uh, the podcast archive on our website. If you haven't, just look for the link on the top line of our menu, and uh, in the archive, you'll find all of our past shows. Oh, I lose count. It's like Jeff's Fish. I've I've almost got as many shows as Jeff has fishes, but um, it's like somewhere around 375 shows. You can just go to that search archive and search by any keyword like Jeff Courier. You'll see all his shows and um, or Madison River or whatever and you'll be pleasantly surprised at all the shows you're going to discover. Our next broadcast will be on May 3rd, 7 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Eastern Time and on that show I'll interview Rick Kustich and our topic for the show will be modern spay fishing. Spay fishing has evolved from being traditionally used for salmon and steelhead to a wider scope of species including inland trout, smallmouth bass, and even saltwater game fish. Rick discusses uh, presentation techniques for both two-handed and single-handed approaches to spay, as well as lines and heads. So join us and learn about spay techniques and methods and how spay fishing could fit into your fly fishing future. Be sure to join us then on uh, May 3rd. We'd like to thank Fly Fishers International, Drought Unlimited, Musky Town, Global Rescue, and Rico Polisi Flies for sponsoring our show tonight. Don't forget to visit our website at askaboutflyfishing.com and make sure you're signed up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Thanks for listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We hope you enjoyed the show. That's it. Good night, everyone, and good
1: fishing.